you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. sit in the office where I sit all day anyway. Uh, you know, right, and then right. Start doing this. So, you know, but. Uh, well, let's get this thing done. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no comics. But anyway, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and this is the Fanboy Planet podcast. And we've got a, a good show uh, where we have an interview coming up, Top Story, uh, in which we've actually already recorded the interview, so we do know how good it is. Yes. Yes. And that voice you just heard, of course, producing this entire thing, because we are completely remote and distanced, uh, is, of course... Social Rick Brett Snyder. Social Rick Brett Snyder? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm always distant. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he was distant before it was cool. Yeah. Uh, so, and Rick, it's still not actually cool, just letting you know. Anyway, so <laughs> we've got some comics, a, a little tiny bit of comics news, uh, some movie news, TV news, and our top story. So it's almost an all-TV episode, really, because all movie news is kind of rolling into TV. But before we begin, of course, if there's anything that we talk about on this podcast that you believe you could uh, you'd like to purchase for your very own, and you could, and you cannot order it from your local store, you may be able to. You may be in an area where you can go to a local brick-and-mortar store. I'm all for it. Uh, as some may know, I, I was speaking at a virtual convention this morning with Green Machine Comics owner Steve Mix uh, about what's happening with retailers and the future of comics. And so that's near and dear to my heart. But if you can't find it at a local brick-and-mortar store and you were going to go to Amazon anyway, you can do it through Fanboy Planet. And anything you order through the search box on the side or sometimes direct links on Fanboy Planet will possibly generate revenue because we are affiliated with Amazon. So thank you for that. If you'd like to just donate to help defray the cost of the site and the podcast, you can donate at PayPal at editor at fanboyplanet.com. And perhaps even more importantly, you can join the conversation. If you've got questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can join us on Facebook fanboy planet you can also follow us on twitter at fanboy planet and instagram at fanboy planet you get the pattern so let's talk about our top story it is a tv news interview uh which is with a documentary producer or reality television show producer brian volk weiss and if that name rings a bell it is because uh for three seasons on netflix he produced what i think is a you know Perhaps a niche but terrific mm -hmm. documentary series, The Toys That Made Us. And I think he went on to the movies that made us as well, but I haven't watched that one because I'm more interested in the toys. And I, every episode I've watched has been really fascinating. He's got a new series that will launch on May 29th. Uh, so Brian Volkweiss is producer of a show called A Toy Store Near You, which has a kind of, at this point, urgent message, but also a really interesting look at 
what goes into into the indie uh, would you say vintage toy stores and probably a little more than vintage i gotta say we didn't say this on the interview but my definition of vintage starts scaring me because like if i remember <laughs> seeing those in a toy store like when i was in my 20s and went eh, you know to me vintage is like 40s and 50s and i'm realizing oh no like you know dragon ball z stuff is vintage he man is vintage you know i don't know but anyway so uh we had a great conversation with brian volkweiss and here it is brian let's get to it uh first of all thank you for joining the podcast this afternoon so thank you for having me we we did we watched the pilot enjoyed it uh i think it's a very uh, necessary show right now i'm worried about comic book stores and toy stores so this was a a good moment from your Uh, thank you man thanks for the kind words yeah from from your experience with it because we are with uh brian volkweiss who is the producer of among many other shows the toys that made us the documentary series on netflix as well as an upcoming show that's coming out on a lot of different platforms called a toy store near you so uh, brian from your experience you know obviously with with the toys that made us it's obvious you love toys. So what sparked, <laughs> what sparked the, I mean, that would be terrible if you didn't, what, what sparked a toy store near you? Was this an original, I mean, was this an idea before all this happened and then it became more urgent or did the urgency actually spark your idea? Um, actually, uh, not only, uh, well, I, I guess it kind of was other people's ideas before, uh, the crisis, uh, and it was an idea that I, uh, aggressively pushed back on, um, Pete after toys that made us came out. And, you know, before I say what I'm about to say, I just want to let you know, uh, I am an avid toy collector. I am uh, talking to you from my toy collection room right now, uh, where there are conservatively uh, 1,500 to 2,000 toys uh, in it. So please uh, take with a grain of salt what I'm about to say. Um, I, uh, you know, for, you know, two and a half years or so after Toys and Made Us came out, uh, people would tell me, oh, you got to do a show about toy stores. You got to do a show about toy stores. Uh, and I would say, uh, no, I don't. Uh, and when they would ask me why, what I would always say is, I'm like, listen, there, I, I've noticed as a producer and director, there are things in life that are super interesting when you are there in person that do not translate to a television screen when you're in your bedroom or living room uh, watching it. My favorite example of this is magic. Uh, magic is the most amazing thing in the world in the theater, uh, and I find super-duper boring uh, in my bedroom, and the ratings for almost anything magic except for the David Copperfield Statue of Liberty stuff, which obviously couldn't be done in a theater, uh, supports my opinion. So I thought toy stores were a similar thing. And by the way, if you watch Toys That Made Us, you'll notice uh, there were no collections uh, and no collectors. Uh, I was adamant about that because, again, I think it's amazing being in a room full of toys. I think it's very boring looking at that on a television screen. So yeah, so I was never, I never wanted to do a show about toy stores. Then one day, uh, early March, I was talking uh, to 
Kyle in uh, Burbank who owns Black Cat Comics, and he men, you know, we were talking about how there might be a quarantine. And I kind of naively said to him, I'm like, hey, what does that mean if there's a quarantine? And he was like, well, it means that 85% of my money goes down, but none of my expenses go down. And I'm like, oh, that's really bad. So about two weeks later, there was a quarantine. And I was thinking about that conversation with Kyle. And by the most random of luck, because uh, my wife has never done this before or since, she was watching a show about some Japanese uh, fancy noodle maker uh, that he had shot with his phone. Uh, and it was like a very simple thing. It was like a guy making these fancy noodles, uh, but he shot it with his phone so the next morning I woke up and I called a friend of mine uh, who I met through Toys That Made Us uh, named Billy Galaxy who owns one of my favorite toy stores in the world uh, it's up in Portland, Oregon and I just said to him I'm like Billy uh, if I like sent you a bunch of questions and gave you like a list of things to film, would you use your phone and like shoot a TV show? And like, I own a production company and a distribution company. Uh, I could distribute it as a TV show and Billy to his credit. Uh, and I would have to imagine if he didn't know me, I would not have said this, but immediately was like, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, so I typed up some questions and I typed up a list of footage, sent it to him. I think it took him about two days to send us the footage. And my head of production, uh, a lady named Dale Carroll, uh, she looked at the footage and she was like, yeah, we could turn this into a TV show. So then we drafted a press release. We put out the press release that was picked up by a bunch of places. And in about two weeks, uh, we had uh, 50 stores lined up. And that was it. And I guess I would be remiss if I didn't say the whole reason we're doing this is uh, twofold. One, uh, COVID and the reaction to COVID, for me at least, turned a boring show about a toy store uh, into a very interesting show about not just the human beings that own and work at toy stores, but it really was about, you know, independent companies. Uh, so my theory is you could own a flower store and still like our show because it's really about small businesses. You could work at a flower shop and find it interesting because it's really about the employees of small businesses, or you could be a car mechanic and own a garage and you would like the show. So it's not, it just happens to be a show. It's a show about small businesses that just happen to be toy stores uh, and how they're dealing with the biggest crisis, I would argue, since Pearl Harbor. So that's, I uh, just talked for eight hours so i'm sorry but that was the inspiration uh, <laughs> oh you actually covered my next question uh so except i would ask how did you get those 50 stores were they responding to the press release or you just started re reaching out because i i have shopped at black cat i love i love that store um so and, and there's a couple others on your list that that i i know and shop at so um i was pleased but how did you find them 
Well, we kind of cheated a little bit. Um, when season three of Toys That Made Us came out, uh, we had done a nationwide uh, premiere party at uh, about 35, about 30 toy stores. So after Deadline Hollywood picked up the story, we forwarded their link to that list. And of the 30 stores approximately on that list, uh, I think at least 22 or 23 said yes. So that was half right there. Um, and then kind of the geek press picked up on the press release and they, you know, it spread quote unquote, like wildfire. Um, that's one of those sayings like, uh, you know, uh, cornbread or whatever. I'm always like, I don't know what that means, but it, uh, it spread like wildfire. And we're uh, in California, and it, we like, do know what it means. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't mess around with that. Fair enough. I should stop using that uh, expression. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, in, I would say in less than two weeks, maybe even less than one week, uh, we had lined up another 25 stores and, uh, you know, it just got to the point where it's like, we got to stop. We can't do a hundred stores. Uh, so we, uh, we locked it off after 50. Okay. And, and, and those stores aren't just us. You've got, you've gone global. So the question yeah. I'd ask Worldwide. is, because you've seen them all, you know, is do you think after editing all these and, and hosting this, do toy collectors and stores differ that much from country to country? I mean, they differ a lot. They differ a lot two or three blocks away. I mean, if you're familiar with Black Cat, I assume you're familiar with Black for the Bass. Black for the Bass, uh, Black yeah, I am. The Bass. Yes. So, I mean, those stores are less than two blocks apart from each other, and they're completely different. And by the way, that's uh, um, Magnolia it, Boulevard in Burbank, if anybody wants to shop, because they're both terrific but, stores. Yeah, I view those both to be my home stores. Um, you know, I'm in there. If I'm in town, I mean, for a full week, I'm usually in both of them at least once a week. No, not at least. Uh, once a week. That'd be crazy to be there twice a week. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm there all the time. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there's actually two other toy stores on Magnolia. Uh, if you go further down Magnolia towards Lancashire, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's a, uh, there's a gentleman and his wife who own the store. Um, you know, I, uh, and it's like, they got really good stuff too. Super vintage. Uh, and also very different from blast from the past. And, um, Oh, and I know Black the store Cat. you're talking about. I can't think of the name either. Yeah. Tiny, tiny store, uh, older guy with white hair owns it. Um, and then if you go down about a mile, there's a new store on the left side of the street, uh, owned by. I forget the guy's name, but like the super famous uh, comic book artist. Uh, and that's Neil store, Adams. Neil Adams. Yes, store. Neil Adams. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and that store is completely different than the other three stores because it's all modern. So, like, on one street, all within a mile, you have four stores that are all different. We're doing two stores from Japan. Those two stores are completely different. One is vintage. One is kind of modern. Um, you know, the store we're doing in London, in um, Lancaster, England, you know, that store um, is actually in many ways similar to uh, Billy Galaxy store, except, you know, I would say Billy Galaxy store is 1% British. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, J Joseph Hand, who owns his store, um, his store is probably 40% British. So, um, yes, yeah, so the short, that's the long way of saying they're all different. That's <laughs> all right. What what would would you, would you say would surprise uh, somebody who comes to watch this series? Uh, surprise them the most? Well, 
There's two kinds of people. There's a toy collector audience, and then there's regular people audience. I think if you're a toy collector, I don't. I got to be completely honest with you. I know I should sit here and be like, "Oh my God, there's going to be so many surprises." Um, I don't think there's going to be that many surprises. What I think there will be is a tremendous overload of nostalgia and just like just warmth and joy watching these shows because you're going to see what's for sale. And even if you don't want to buy it, um, you're going to really be moved by just seeing all this, but you're also going to realize like, so I guess maybe this is a little surprise. Um, you're going to, you know, I think a lot of people that go to toy stores don't know the owners and I think they might be, they might find it very interesting how the toy stores keep their shelves stocked during peacetime uh, and then be even more interested how they keep the shelves stocked during COVID. So that, that could be a little bit of a surprise because it's very interesting uh, and every store is different. I mean, there are some stores uh, that have storage facilities that, you know, they're going to be fine for two years or more. Uh, and then there's some stores that have no backup and, you know, they're mm-hmm. scrambling through, uh, you know, the obituaries, uh, you know, and uh, divorce court filings, uh, trying to find people that might be looking to unload collections. Ah, yeah. I mean, and and you're, you're right there. During COVID, one of the things is, uh, is there aren't any shows to go to. And exactly. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting there. Well, you know, it's so, a double-edged sword because that means you can't get stuff to sell at your store, but it also means you can't sell stuff at the shows. Right. You know, almost all the toy stores, um, you know, I think Billy Galaxy does at least four uh, shows a year. Uh, and that's a, that's a big chunk of his yearly, uh, revenue. So, um, you know, Billy, I know goes to Japan at least once, maybe two or three times a year, um, goes to Japan, uh, to bring stuff back here to sell. And he also brings stuff to Japan from here, uh, that he knows, uh, they're going to want to buy. So, you know, all that's gone. Yeah. So in peacetime, as you called it, you know, obviously you are yourself a big toy collector. You mentioned that up front. Uh, do you prefer, uh, you know, because people, I, I think collecting of anything has changed so much, even in the last, you know, 20 years with the advent of eBay and the ability to sell online. So do you, do you, are you someone who prefers that hunt in person or would you rather just be able to Google it? And I mean, is there a thrill to the hunt for you? The, the, well, here's the funny thing. And I'm, I don't know if I'm typical or atypical. I'm, there's a couple things, like literally two things that I am looking for. Um, and they're so obscure, I highly doubt I'll ever find them in a store. So that being said, I'm not really hunting for anything. I go into stores to see what they have. And there is nothing in the world like finding something that you had forgotten all about and getting joy from it and just being reminded. And and by the way, it doesn't even have to be something you've forgotten. I mean, I remember in January uh, being in Walmart, uh, finding the Hot Wheels Razor Crest uh, and just being like, oh, 
uh, oh my God. Like, I mean, just, I mean, I could not believe I just found it on a Walmart shelf. And then I left Walmart and then went to Neil Adams store. And I had known, uh, and it was just a complete coincidence. It was the same day. Actually, I think it was a coincidence. Maybe it wasn't. Um, but, uh, I had heard that Hot Wheels was starting to do some, uh, like miniature Hot Wheels versions of He-Man vehicles and stuff. And, uh, they just, I don't know what it's called, but you know, that He-Man kind of the green and orange flying tank thing. I'm not the biggest He-Man fan. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. I do love He-Man. Yeah. They had the Hot Wheels version of that. Uh, when I went in there, like less than an hour after I left Walmart, left Walmart. So, um, like it was just pure joy, like absolutely just pure joy, uh, seeing that. So, and then, so that's a lot of it. It's just the joy of going into a store and finding something you had forgotten about or something you didn't know existed. But the other thing that I love more than anything is, and this includes antique stores as well, is like you go in and like you just find something so awesome that you didn't even know existed. Like I'm in my, like I said, I'm in my collection room now. Uh, I was in Denver last year uh, in an antique store and I got this amazing uh, display that uh, Hallmark had made uh, when they did their first ever Christmas ornament for the Star Trek episodes, or for the Star oh, Trek toys. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's this like half moon uh, with the Galileo space shuttle flying over it. I uh, have with that. like a big. But you have the display. I have the display. You do. I worked next to a Hallmark store when I was at a software company in San Mateo. So nice. Well, yes, then, Rick's uh, got an you, amazing touché, collection. Touche, touche. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I saw that in the store. I remember being a kid seeing it, and you know, it has the button where you can press the button, and yeah. you can hear Leonard Nimoy talking. Um, but yeah, I got that for like thirty bucks. Like, I'm looking at it right now. So that's the joy. Now, don't get me wrong. Since COVID, I have been buying a lot of stuff on Facebook and eBay, uh, primarily Facebook uh, toy groups. And, yes, it's a great feeling when you go down to the, you know, the gate and uh, there's a package there. That is a great feeling. But it's not as great as discovering something you were not expecting. Yeah. Yeah, so I do have to ask before we wrap up, uh, what are those two items that you are looking for, those obscure toys? Um, One of them is Vlicks. Are you familiar with Vlicks? I don't think I I am, no. Is that a light toy? Uh, Vlicks. Vlix is a star. Vlix is the uh, rarest, most hard to find Star Wars toy that actually went into production. Um, and it's actually not that hard to find. Uh, you just need a lot of money to get it. So, like one of the Facebook groups I'm in, one sold last week uh, for about forty thousand dollars. Good lord. Um, that being said, it's still hard to find them. Um, they, they were only sold in Brazil. They were not supposed to be sold. George Lucas went crazy when he heard they were being sold, and they were all destroyed and yada yada yada. That's why they're so rare. Uh, but the other thing that I am dying to get um, is uh, one of my niche uh, collecting things is I love toy-related consumer products. And um, 
uh, during Return of the Jedi, uh, there were a bunch of figures that uh, nobody was buying and were getting returned to Kenner. And Kenner partnered up with a bunch of companies uh, to sell the toys and uh, or to package the toys. It was like a free giveaway, you know, so they could, you know, make their money back or at least. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a Colgate um, it's a Colgate package that comes with a Bib Fortuna, uh, and uh, I uh, I must get one of those uh, before I die. Okay, well those are good. And it's the most random stuff. I mean, there's one with glue sticks, with Ewoks. Um, I mean, it it is like it is hysterically random. And by the way, a lot of the packaging like doesn't even reference that there's like a star Wars figure that comes with it. So like there are probably millions of people that just wanted to buy glue sticks and had to get a stupid Ewok with it. Um, so finding that packaging still intact um, is very hard to do. Well, we, we do wish you luck and we thank you, Brian Volker Weiss <laughs> for, for joining us in this conversation this afternoon. Uh, thanks so much. And, uh, let's see that, uh, a toy store near you will be out May 29th on That's Am correct. Amazon prime YouTube and many other, you know, I guess, uh, iTunes or, or whatever they're calling it. It's, calling it. it's, it's, it's premiering on Amazon and YouTube. Uh, but over the course of about a month or two, it's going to be everywhere else. It'll be on Tubi and Pluto and Roku and lots of other things. All right. So, well, uh, it'll be there. And then we're going to put out about one every three weeks. That's our goal. Okay, cool. And I hope by the end of it, um, the need for it will have gone away. <laughs> but we'll uh, amen. Amen. So thanks. We'll be watching. Awesome. Thank you. I was going to thank you, and that is May 29th, a toy store near you, available on Amazon, YouTube, and it's going to get pushed out to a lot of different places that Brian mentioned. And so you can find it. And we watched the pilot. Pretty interesting stuff. So let us get a little bit into comics right now. And the only piece of comics news I, I, I have is I had not realized that in the great distribution wars that are happening right now, I'm hoping that a lot of your local stores, comic shops are opening, maybe open this week for curbside delivery or opening next week. Uh, and again, for curbside. Um, but I'm I do think that... I'm going today at four. Good, good. Uh, you know, un unfortunately, I'm kind of, I, I haven't lifted and shifted my, my pool box anywhere. And, and uh, so I think I still have items at Elusive Comics. I'm looking forward to going when I go back up to Northern California to getting, getting my stuff then. But, uh, you know, one of the things that had been controversial was, of course, that DC announced that they were going to two new independent distributors and not through Diamond. And then they said, no, 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 we're still good with Diamond. But DC is no longer being part of Diamond Previews. And they're oh. not printing a catalog, or maybe I'm misrepresenting this, because they are no longer beholden to just Diamond's shipping orders. So they, they may be mentioned in previews with the, with the numbers for ordering. But what they really are is um, they've started an online-only DC connect. 
Uh, so the issue number one just launched on, on DCcomics.com. So for it's listed June 2020 for August books. So there it is, DC Kids, DC Young Adults, DC, and DC Black Label. Why you might want to get on board with it and take, take a look and talk to your local uh, retailer is because August 25th is when Batman Three Jokers, which I think was promised like three years ago, uh, definitely hinted at in the uh, the Dark Side War for Justice League. That feels right. like that was like right. six or seven years ago. So <laughs> I don't think yeah. it was that far away. No, I you know like I said, time has dilated right. and extends. I don't right. know when anything was, but I do know that I've been waiting for this because I really like Jason Fabok's art and Jeff Johns. Uh, you know, has promised this story for so long. It does say the long-awaited miniseries? If I could go to a store with a long white beard, I would. Uh, but there's a lot of other interesting stuff in there, and you know, as, as we as we mentioned, so uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal. That sequel to Dark Knight's Metal is finally coming out as well, and that's going to be in August. And still more of those Zoom books. And so, actually, maybe they're not calling them Zoom now; they're just graphic novels for young adults. But they've got a Beast Boy, and then a very interesting one coming that's Swamp Thing Twin Branches, uh, which is written by Maggie Stiefvater and art by Morgan Beam, and it's actually about it's like Teen Holland's. Alec and his brother Walker Holland. And so it's a, it's these young, it's actually coming out in, in October, but these young adult graphic novels are taking the characters that, you know, and putting them in a complete, well, you know, they're really elseworlds. And, you know, I, I think that that's when you talk about the future of comics are going to be fine in one form or another. But when you think about the future of franchises, it's more like characters are going to get reimagined and reimagined. And all that matters as long as you've got Alec Holland is Swamp Thing. You know, this is something that's gone on in manga for years and uh, decades, decades, literally Mm -hmm. decades, um, where they take uh, like, like uh, uh, Space Cruiser Yamoto, They'd have a series and people would die in it. Then have another series. They're back and you know that's an entirely different mission. They're gritting, they're all meeting for the same time. It's just it's kind of like uh, a theme that gets echoed into new series. Yeah, it's just like uh, it's playing pieces and then they just rearrange them on the board, right? Yeah. And in addition, there's finally I didn't know this was coming a sequel to Green Lantern Earth One, which were really good graphic novels, kind of again reimagining and not connected to any others unless it's the title uh green lantern earth one volume two is finally coming from gabriel hardman and karina bechko earth one was a really cool uh, or green lantern earth one volume one was a really cool reimagining of green lantern now i think grant morrison uh, is doing a fantastic job with the green lantern as well but but this really gives it a an interesting difference where it, it um it's a lot more military it's a lot more police uh and yet also <laughs> dare I say space forcey um so not to not to say there's any uh, anything in common with the actual upcoming Netflix comedy space force or the upcoming US comedy space force either way which so, green La- which green lantern would Steve Carell play Gnort maybe yeah. no no you know I would think actually oh could you imagine uh Steve Carell as Tomar Ree. I can actually, I can. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, so they're an interesting dream casting. Let's make it happen, people. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, because, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a Green Lantern TV series on HBO Max. So, yeah. I want that. It was Jeffrey Rush in the in the Ryan Reynolds movie. Mm-hmm. And say what you will about the Ryan Reynolds movie, it's not Jonah Hex, so we can say what we will about the Ryan Re- Reynolds movie. So uh, let us go to movies because I think next week is when the comics come out. And we can't even really do a, a what's in the bag at the moment because you're going at four o'clock this afternoon, and I don't know when I'm going to get new comics. So anyway, it, with movies, and there's a, a couple of things that are happening with comic book related films, which is that despite no clear time when production's going to resume, uh, studios are still moving forward with their plans and which is both a relief and still a, huh? I mean, you know, what's going to happen? How's it going to get done? But Sony is, is bound and determined to create a complete huge filled out Sony Marvel universe starring Spider-Man or really Spider-Man characters. And they did confirm this week that, uh, the director SJ Clarkson is in talks to develop Madam Webb as a solo film hmm. for Marvel universe. Now you may know ultimate universe lore better than me. Um, I read a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man in the early days and and then it kind of dropped off, although I enjoyed it. I read Miles Morales off and on. Um, did the Ultimate Universe, which, of course, the cinematic Tom Holland's Spider-Man is a little more ultimate than original, did the Ultimate Universe have a different take on Madam Web? Because my recollection in the 70s and 80s was this old woman in a chair almost like... Uh, Mystique's uh, girlfriend in in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You know, I a don't psychic. remember. I rem- I don't remember being impressed by it as being that different. Um, I think the the whole you know psychic clairvoyance thing. She's almost like oh, what's the uh, the name of the the uh, detective who sits sits in his. Uh, in his house near a wolf near wolf kind of a near wolf kind of uh but not even that because it's more it's more like go out and do this don't bring anything back to me i'm just the i'm just the person who instigates things almost like uh uh the shadow or even brubaker uh, of of the shadow right the uh, mm-hmm. the, the radio man yeah so yeah, she's she's more like a uh, like uh, something that gets gets the story going. And she's a MacGuffin. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're gonna say. Uh, I suspect that what they're going for is let's let's take a DC example that I think is almost like an action hero version of Madame Xanadu, someone who who yeah. can read these things. I mean, I could be I could be wrong as well that they might stick with someone who is, you know, I I, I would actually love. Uh, if if you had uh, say let's say like Helen Mirren play Madam Web and mm. she really is just manipulating a bunch of people, I'll go with another because this connects to things you can get while you're still you know reading in its old material, uh, like Baron Winters in Night Force, who uh, which is Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan creation and for DC in the in the eighties, uh, he was definitely the, the manipulator. He would gather people. He rarely took action himself. I could see that. I could see that. Maybe I'm just not so sure that the average person's going to go. Ooh, Madam Web connected to Spider-Man. I think most people were aware that Venom has a connection to Spider-Man, though the film obviously disconnected it. But rumor is that 
you know, Tom Holland will appear in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and or There Will Be Carnage, or Will It Be There Will Be Blood. All I know is Woody Harrelson's playing Carnage. So, uh, and then, and this is where it's like, come on, guys. Uh, Mark Guggenheim, uh, who's worked, uh, I think he worked on that Green Lantern script way back when, um, is rumored to be writing Jackpot. For Sony, and I think Jackpot is he one of the 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 Slingers, that weird little spinoff from Spider Man? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I guess the thing for me is I really haven't watched like the various iterations on Disney XD of the animated series. So I have friends that work on it. You know, I, I know they've gone deep into the, you know the animated series in the nineties. Kind of went deep with characters. And I mean, I know there's a, a fleshed out Spider-Man universe, but like the comment that was at Bacon this morning, like it doesn't have to all be Spider-Man. Well, it's not in movies, but but for Sony, it kind of has to be because that's all they've still got the rights to. And I, you know, I I just I just don't know that that character has never been one that's really registered for me. So I, I don't know. And if you want to write in at editor at fanboyplanet.com and you're a big fan of Jack Potter, can tell me about it. Please do. I, you know, I just, I just don't know. So, uh, it's, it's interesting that they're going to do it, but you know, like I say, no clue if I'm excited about that or not. So I like Mark Guggenheim. I think he's a good writer. That's, but that's not there. I do want to point to a a little harder sci-fi that uh, there's a horror film coming called Antebellum starring Janelle Monae about she's, time traveling getting sucked mysteriously back into time into into pre uh, civil war slavery days the antebellum and i've got no judgment it might be a, a, as far as it might be a, a, a really good horror film i don't know but all i can think of is that it's octavia butler's kindred the science fiction novel hmm. and which it has a great graphic novel adaptation as well that you can pick up um I mean, have you seen this, anything for Antebellum? I've seen a few commercials. I'm and, not, not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, a, a, would, black, the a term 21st would, century black woman. Yeah, the back term in would time. Match, match up with uh, Kindred. Yeah. 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 It, it just seems like, a, a, and I don't mind the update. I'm just hoping that maybe somebody bought the rights to the book or something. And if not, um, hey, you want to read, read before this movie comes out a story? maybe a different take on the almost exact same subject matter. Uh, Octavia Butler, who is a great sci-fi writer passed away, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, but, uh, Kindred is, is a terrific book. And, and there, and like I said, there's a terrific graphic novel adaptation as well. So let's get to it TV. Ma- it makes total sense that they would rename it though. Cause I've always thought that Kindred is kind of a, it was not, an odd, not indicative I mean, name. It, it is once you've read it. Yeah, but that's that's one of those things where yeah, you know, it doesn't help you yeah. sell the book. No, I'm, maybe, but I I, I love the, I love the title. Yeah. Uh, but and again, having read it, it's like oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it, it it does make a lot of sense. So um, let's talk TV because right now that's how we're consuming movies as well. But uh, Star Girl debuted the the one word Star Girl, not Star girl on disney plus a dc universe and the cw uh debuted star girl this week did you get it you did get a chance to watch i watched it yes yeah and i'm gonna say um one i'm a sucker for justice society stories uh but 
in in general, I understand some of the storytelling uh, shortcuts they had to take because the the ins and outs of Justice Society continuity are are ridiculous. Uh, if you're not somebody who's been a long term fan, you know, get get to it. Um, I love the production values. Uh, I I think that Breck Breck Bessinger, who is playing Courtney uh, Stargirl, is uh, Courtney Whitmire, I think is the character, is uh, the best incarnation of Stargirl that's been on screen. She's been in Smallville. She's been in the Arrowverse somewhere. I can't remember what show she, which series she had shown up on. Huh. Okay. I, maybe it wasn't Arrowverse. I, I know there have been two previous. Oh no, no, she was. Yes, Courtney was part of the Justice Society in DC's Legends of Tomorrow. A a different version of her, obviously, aside the older, more sophisticated. Okay. Is back in the forties, which was out of thing. But you know, Star Girl keeps showing up in okay. in television adaptations, and and like I said, she was in Smallville. This is the best version. This is the best version of the Justice Society as well. They look like the Justice Society. And you see, you know, there's a moment where they find that photo and there's still characters from the Justice Society. I, I want to see. Yeah. Oh, Lord, you know, Dr. Fate. Come on, give me a better Dr. Fate than than Smallville did. Smallville wasn't bad. I was but- impressed. I was very much impressed with not only the the. Uh- the plotting that they had they had opened with that sequence, the fight sequence, and yeah. that they started it with Stripesy off in the distance coming into it so they could kind of show him into little vignettes of the fight. Um and and it was it was it was filmed in a way that kind of reminded me of that episode of Daredevil where the the hallway fight in Daredevil where, you know, it was easy to follow. It was easy I, I, to follow, yeah. but it was obviously a, a terrific fight. Yeah. 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 No, I, it, what it, it was a great start to the series. I'm looking forward to it. It is interesting. I think they're lining up uh, what you would say was Infinity Incorporated characters. They're still going to call them Justice Society, but that's, you know, the people that took the mantle. Uh, only in Infinity Incorporated, they were like in their mid-20s, and here they're set up as high school students and outcasts and it's, and that you're getting so many, like the injustice society is obscure and that you're going to get some of the characters well-known Solomon Grundy, who mentioned in the first five minutes is, you know, well-known, but when you get to characters like the gambler and, (laughs) and the wizard, the original wizard, it's like, wow, it's terrific that, that, you know, they're there. We're, we're seeing, uh, a heartfelt, earnest adaptation, and you know, and Jeff Johns wrote the script, and I think it's one of the best scri- uh, screenplays or teleplays, if you will, that he's worked on. I I, I loved it. So my hope I'm is that they will con- each episode. They'll continue to fund it, fund it at the level they funded this at because it had just the right number of special effects to make everything appear real. Um, I'm a little concerned about the character who shows up in the la- the quote-unquote character who shows up in the last two minutes because if that turns to be something where they you know they kind of cheap side it like the same way they they do on the jeff johns uh, not the jeff johns the john jones uh transformations in supergirl 
and or um, yeah, or Legends of Tomorrow's Firestorm, like uh, and Firestorm Steel. You, and you Steel. You know they can only appear as yeah, they as only they they only appear every fourth episode, <laughs> and they only only do like two minutes, and then things happen off camera or in the shadow or whatever. Um, that's gonna be hard with that character to do to pull that kind of stuff know, off. You know, I don't know in terms of the financing, like because it's on DC Universe and the CW. If that means this is actually kind of almost like a co-production, hopefully, like money, got the money coming from different wings of uh, of Warner Media. Be- because just the effects, the effects of her and the cosmic uh, rod, rod uh, the yeah. cosmic uh, is it rod? It's not rod. It's the it's the cosmic rod. Yeah. Okay, the cosmic rod. Um, those sequences are really well done. And well, really you know cool. what? I think you're right. It's the cosmic staff because that's what Jack Knight had. Yeah. Ted Knight had the cosmic rod, and right. And that Sylvester was more of a Pemberton wand kind of thing. Pemberton had the cosmic rod, which became the cosmic belt, and then David uh, Ted or David got the cosmic cosmic rod yeah uh, the, and yeah and you but, can tell i'm getting deep into because the starman series from the 90s is one of my all-time favorite runs of comics and the writer of that james robinson now on screen he's james dale robinson is the one of the executive producers so i'm just thrilled if you're gonna if you're listening to this and you are as nerdy as i am I know nothing, but the promise that Jack, you know, the possibility, not a promise, the possibility that Jack Knight could appear on screen when there was an ABC pilot being developed like 15 years ago for Jack Knight 2, that, um, you know, it's it's thrilling to me. I because that's one of my all time favorite characters and go through his arc, you know, go through Sylvester's, go through Pat Dugan's, you know, I, they laid that out really well. So I really, really dug that. Now we got interesting news this week that in the long time Twitter battle of hashtag release the Snyder cut DC, what Warner brothers gave in, uh, HBO max is going to be showing sometime in 2021. So I think that gets lost. Everybody gets super excited. We're going to see the Snyder cut yeah. in 2021. They're putting money back in Warner media is putting money back in to finish the special effects. And there's rumor. And I don't know. I, I don't know how practical this is that the cast would come back to f- film a couple of scenes, but I think that's more wish fulfillment at this point it's hard for me to imagine maybe that ben affleck who's you know gone very public with admitting it's his own personal problems that he loved working on the film but that but that there was you know he had some a lot of emotional crap going through through his life at that point um i just can't imagine that happening the others maybe um maybe and maybe that's all they need and what was just confirmed as well, I mean, this has been rumored for a long time, is that Darkseid would be in it, had been in the original cut. I know they had cast an actor, and, and that actor just confirmed about an hour ago on Twitter uh, that he was uh, is Darkseid, and that actor is Ray Porter, who, you if you go geeky, is he is a great audiobook narrator, and he uh, is well-known for um, the, the Joe Ledger, he narrates the Joe Ledger novels, which are really great action horror books. Uh, and oddly enough, I met Ray Porter 30 years ago because he was an actor at Ashland at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. 
And then he went down to Hollywood and he's gotten character bits and he's got a great voice. He's a fantastic actor. I've seen him on stage. And um, I think he could do justice to the dark side. And um, it's interesting. I don't have a judgment on whether it's good or ill or better or worse than the version that actually got released theatrically. I just know I'll watch it. And uh, the rumor is that what they'll do is because is that it's going to be at least a four hour uh, at least a four-hour production that it will be a miniseries, you know, six episodes, you know, so that you can take it in 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 chunks. It's it's interesting. I you know I'm sure there are people screaming right now, going either they really wanted to see the Snyder cut or they think Zack Snyder sucks, and or both. It, or both. And I, you know, that's my attitude is like, I will watch it because the only superhero project that, uh, that I've purposely not watched in the past 20 years is, is X-Men Dark Phoenix. There are some that I've just not watched because I just haven't had time, but you know, this is one that it's like, Oh, there's so much mystique about it and rumor. It just seems I got to see. You know, I didn't think the final Justice League film was great. I didn't think it was bad. It was just kind of, eh, you know. And so we'll see. At least see that storyline go, you know. Um, I think flip side, which will be, find more fascinating, is right now Ju- Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. It comes up, as always, that the animation is – the animated projects seem to work better. I just got a copy of it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be watching it tonight, but I've been hearing great things about that, you know, and it, and it's covering similar territory, uh, thematically and, you know, it, it's sort of like, uh, and, you know, end game using Thanos, which has now been perfect, you know, perfectly acknowledged as yes, Roy Thomas kind of whispered to Jim Starlin, go ahead and rip off the dark side. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. That's no longer uh, <laughs> urban legend. It is now pretty much confirmed. Uh, you know that that Marvel got there first with a character that D, that is the best villain in DC, and 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 it's in animation right now. So I'm hoping to see you know, and that also is interesting. I, I don't know if we talked, in, I don't remember if we talked enough about this with the Project Justice League. Uh, dark apocalypse war that really they've had this continuity of about eight or nine animated projects. And this brings it to an end. Like this is closing the door on this, you know, becomes a, an official, I guess for better or whatever you say else worlds. And this is the definitive ending of this run of films. Hmm. Okay. There will be more animated films, but there has been this, you know, continuity of Batman film movies with Damien and teen Titans was in there. The Judas contract, I right. think was, tied into it and uh you know so and this began with justice league war i think was the first one so now it's justice league dark apocalypse war so there's it's it's up and down in it's in its quality or in how much i've enjoyed the stories but it's it's interesting to see one producer james tucker get to kind of put his spin on what he would do with these characters and really give it a definitive ending so uh that's one available as well and it's it's apocalypse war, not the apocalypse war, and it's apocalypse like uh, the planet, not the actual event that um, you know many civilizations believe is coming. So, uh, big shocker this week: Ruby Rose, who uh, who has been starring as Kathy Kane, Kate Kane, uh, Batwoman, after a fairly well received first season. 
left the role. And I, we will not speculate. I know that last summer she had had to have major surgery because she'd, she'd injured herself uh, fairly badly doing stunts. And so there's been a lot, you know, there's a lot of intensity around, around that role. Uh, I've haven't really kept up with the show, so I, I, I can't speak about whether she was good in the role or not. Or I have. She, yeah. And what do you think? I thought she was fine. Um, my problem with the show has been that it's, and I, I have not watched like the last three episodes. Um, mostly cause I found it was getting kind of boring. Uh, the whole Alice character and do you know about the mystery of Alice, that kind of stuff? Uh, well, I think they blew the mystery of Alice, like within two or three episodes. Yeah. 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 So, so, so that whole thing and my biggest problem was Alice was definitely a, a psychotic killer, but apparently sisterly love can overlook that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I mean, I, I um, don't I just, understand. I just don't buy that in a, I don't in have a, a sister. You know, I, so. I don't buy that in a bat family character at all. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I just, um, my, my take is uh, in the comics, Batwoman is a, is a very strong, interesting character in and of herself. And when I watched the pilot, I thought, yeah, it's okay. But it's a series that, in order to justify Batwoman as sort of the improvement, you had to take Batman off the table. And that just seemed weird to me too. But, you know, yeah. Uh, Although it, it, it made for an interesting origin that she stumbles into yeah. all, and it explains how she has all, all the wonderful toys, yes. uh, which, which a lot of people just associate with. You can't do a bat character without uh, gadgets. Toys. No, yeah. you cannot, you cannot. Absolutely yeah. not. So we'll see that, you know, I think in, in this case, the Arrowverse, the CW has already announced the Arrowverse will not be returning until 2021. So it'll launch in January, which means that if, as I'm hearing just rumblings, that production will resume on things like in July, uh, that producers have some time to find out who will replace her to figure it out. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to, just say, you know, somebody new playing it. It's the, it's the Darren sure. on Bewitched, but that's, but that's dismissive. The real thing is that, uh, you know, Superboy did that. Uh, it was a syndicated half hour series. And the first Superboy was James Hayes, Newton, or J- James Hayne. Yeah. Hey, Newton, uh, a good actor. Uh, and I don't know why they replaced him, but they did. And the second season was Gerard Christopher and it was a more fun show. But they never acknowledged that it, he looked different, you know. It was just, and they did look very different. They had different takes, and I think the the series became a lot more comic booky uh, at that point, tone wise. So, you know, it's not without precedent. You know, and, if you're if you're if you're writing for Hollywood, sometimes they just don't think like comic book writers enough. There are any number of reasons why somebody's face can change, and you, or you don't ri- have to acknowledge it. You can write it into the plot. I mean, it can be specifically done, you know, that that's, well, it's, it's not that hard to do. And I should say this, Dinah Lance, white canary on, on Legends of Tomorrow was originally a different actress in Arrow. And then what they did was they reshot those flashback scenes with Katie Lotz 
Um, you know, so that when the, when the episode would come later and they'd flash back, it was her in those scenes. So you don't even have to think outside the box. Seriously. You can just recast and Hollywood has done this. Television has done this for a long time. You know, they'll, they'll reshoot a scene with the new actor so that (laughs) as an audience you go, Oh yeah, she was always, it's almost like (laughs) 1984, you know? So there was never a Ruby Rose. She is now an unbat woman. So Uh, let's, let's end on a higher note because a very highly anticipated second season of a superhero show, superhero ish show is returning. Uh, it will be dark horse and Netflix really it's Netflix, but announced this week that on July 31st, we're getting season two of the umbrella Academy. That's going to drop and that's going to be very exciting. And I think the week before that we get season two of the boys on Amazon prime. So, you know, that almost makes up for the lack of comic. No, the boys like, look surprisingly interesting. I was after the ending of that. I'm going, Oh, I don't know what's going to go on, but, um, well, you know what I loved about the boys. And, and I think we talked about it a year ago is, is that it keeps the tone of the original graphic novel, but some or, or the original comics, but so much has changed and so much, of the criticism that Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson were, were doing, um, is, you, you know, that the society has caught up. And so there's so many changes in the plot oh, yeah. Yeah. that, you know, that I thought, yeah, every one of these makes sense. And like I shared that, that series with my, the, the first season with my son. And I said, you know, I've got the, the trades if you want to read them, but I don't think you're going to like them because they're just a lot more cynical. And whereas I think this, you know, the TV version of the boys has a, a weird kind of hope, even while critiquing that idea of, of people with superpowers. Being well, the above. end, the end of the first season definitely kind of opened it up for the fact of, Hey, you know, the guys you thought were all bad are not all bad. And the guys that you thought were good, they're not all good. They're not, they're not all good. Yeah. yeah. And it's all, it, so it was interesting. It became a very interesting show. And it's one of those that I wish Amazon prime would just release weekly so that we have time to digest. You know, that's another conversation another time that we have over and over. Is it better to binge or is it better to be able to, you know, go like, Hmm, what's going to happen next and really think about it instead of a year apart. Like you, you watch eight episodes in a row and then go, Oh, what's next? Anyway, uh, so we'll be doing that with the Umbrella Academy, and I'm using this time to catch up on some series that I probably should have watched years ago. And uh, so that's it. Hey, you know, thanks so much for listening. I hope you are going to tune in, by the way, to a toy store near you. Uh, And thank you again to Brian Volkweiss for taking some time to talk with us. And for you, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, There are a lot of pop culture options, and there's a lot of other things fighting for your attention right now, and that you took this time to listen to us. I'm really, really grateful. So uh, once again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at fanboyplanet. And uh, until the next time we record and and communicate with you, uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers for good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.